Today's reading is from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 21. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus, and it is a pleasure to be with you all this morning. And we've been walking through Matthew's account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Matthew, who walked and talked with Jesus in the first century, he wants us to know what he saw, really who he saw, and that Jesus is so much more than we often think he is. So often we can think that Jesus is a really smart rabbi, and he is. So often we can think that he's a really good person, and he most definitely is. But for Matthew, he wants us to see something more. He wants us to see that Jesus is the king over everything. And if that's true, each and every one of us should be asking, what does it look like for us to live under his reign? What does it look like for you and I to follow this king everywhere? And that leads us to the question we find in our passage this morning, the question that Peter raises. This is a question, I think, Right here in verse 21 is a question that we've all raised at some point in our lives. Because just before verse 21, we read that, you know, somebody comes against you and they sin against you, you know, you need to offer grace, you need to chase them out, you need to pursue them. And we understand that we need to give second chances and third chances and fourth chances. I think we get that. I think we even understand that even in conflict mediation, sometimes you get to bring somebody else in who might be an objective third party. I think sometimes we even understand that in some situations, there needs to be a community intervention, right? I think, I think we get that. I think we also understand that we need second and third and fourth chances. So, of course, we've got to give that to others. But then there comes this other question. When is enough enough? I mean, what if there's this one person who wrongs you over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and they come to you and they say, I'm sorry. When is I'm sorry not good enough? Do you really have to forgive? I mean, when is that point when you finally can say, when somebody comes to you and they say, I'm sorry, and it no longer warrants you're forgiven? Where do we draw the line? And this question for me, the question that Peter raises in our passage 
That's a question that really came to a head in my own life when I was in college. You see, as far back as I can basically remember as a child, my parents struggled to stay together. Um, I remember pretty distinctly a moment in my childhood where my dad took me and we sat next to this old barn in Mississippi on the side of a road. <laughs> and he told me, hey, Gabriel, you need to know your mom and I are struggling. I remember being young, tears coming down my face, trying to figure out what's going on. And, and it seems to me, when I look back, from that moment on, my father was on a trajectory of escape. He'd started a missions organization. He was a missionary. He'd started multiple businesses, and they had him gone quite a bit. I mean, he would be gone for a month and then be home for like a week or two. And as this progressed, he was gone more and more and home less and less until about age 12, he was gone completely calling every once in a while. And I tried to tell stories to my friends. Oh, yeah, my dad's an international business guy, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Then one time in my teenage years, he came back for about a year and he said, I'm sorry, I sh this should not be this way. Things are going to change. And we believed him, and then he was gone again. And this time, shortly thereafter, the calls stopped. No birthday wishes, no Christmas cards, nothing. And I was angry. Can I say that? I mean, I was, just, I was very, very angry. Um, I was angry that he chose to leave. Angry that I had to figure out what it meant to be a man. I mean, trying to figure out how to shave is not a very safe thing to do on your own. <laughs> I was angry that my mom had to go back to work when she hadn't worked outside of the home since she was in college. I was angry, angry to hear that he had multiple affairs, angry to hear that he somehow had married someone else before actually being divorced from my mom, angry to watch my mom go through the divorce proceedings on her own, angry to watch my sisters and I figure out what are the next steps when he chose to leave and he didn't send child support and how are we going to survive. I was angry. And then in college, I get this call. And I hear this older man's voice across the line saying, I'm back. I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. Can we talk? And there were tears behind his words. But you want to know what was going through my mind when those words came across the line. See, I was studying at this point to be a pastor, okay? <laughs> I wanted people to know about Jesus and the freedom that comes in Jesus. But when I heard his tears, all I could hear were my tears when I cried myself to sleep multiple nights, figuring out why it wasn't I good enough for my dad to stay. When I heard his tears, I heard my mom's tears while she was crying over the Bible in prayers asking, why God, why us? When I heard his tears, I heard my sister's tears when my one sister struggled to get her GED because she had to go to school full time to help pay the bills. Going to the thrift store, getting me a nice new white shirt from the thrift store for the choir concert, you know? And I ask myself when I hear these tears, do I really have to forgive? Really? Really? And I know some of your stories, some of your stories, some of your stories are, you've experienced some intense pain, okay? Some of this pain has changed the very trajectory of your life. A spouse abandoned you, a parent neglected you, a coworker stabbed you in the back and stole that promotion, a, a business partner cheated you, and it's changed the very trajectory of where you are today. And some things that have happened to some of you are so painful, so horrendous, I cannot even fully understand the pain you've gone through. And it makes me angry for the pain you had to go through. Do you really have to forgive? 
Now, some of you, the pain and the anger you experience isn't something even, maybe, potentially, that's happened to you, but someone you love. And sometimes that's even harder. You know, somebody bullied your kid, or someone robbed your neighbor's house, or... And and in those moments, a loved one was abused or hurt or mistreated, and you felt helpless in knowing how to help. And you became, you became angry, thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mete out this vengeance for them. And sometimes it's even harder to forgive for things that have happened to loved ones than, than what's happened to us. Do you really have to forgive? And then I was thinking, okay, for all of us in here, if we're honest, and I mean this, by God's grace, nothing truly horrendous has entered into your life yet. Okay, nothing that like rocked your world, but this is still a very real question for you. Because so often we can get into those everyday occurrences and you can begin to write off people. They just said something stupid one too many times. They dropped the ball one too many times. Enough is enough. I'm done with them. Do you really have to forgive? And that's not an easy question. When it starts to take on flesh and blood and it shows up in our history, that is not an easy question. It's not a trite question, but by God's grace, it's really not a new question either. That's why it comes off the lips of Peter in the first century, and that's why I believe God's word is so relevant for our lives today, even though we're separated by 2,000 years of history. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' answer to really this timeless question here in Matthew 18, and then we're going to circle back around as to what that really looks like for us, okay? So if you haven't already, would you please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start with this timeless question from Peter here in verse 21. Peter asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And if you've studied the scriptures for a while, you can smile. But listen, forgiveness is as old as sin. (laughs) And in the first century, there were a lot of different theories on how many times you should forgive someone until your grace should run out. I mean, a common understanding amongst rabbis in the first century was three times. If somebody has sinned against you multiple, above three, then you need to move on. And Peter, knowing Jesus is pretty merciful, (laughs) he like goes radical and he's like, how about seven times, Jesus, right? (laughs) Like, you can almost imagine he's picturing that high five that's at the end of every cheesy Disney movie with, like, just the two of us playing in the background. And then Jesus kind of breaks into that little sweet moment in Peter's head. In verse 22, he says, No, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, this is the English Standard Version. If you're using an NIV, it may say 70 times seven, okay? But listen, the number's not important. (laughs) It's not like Jesus said, oh, they sinned against you 10 times. Just wait 67 more, all right? Get some of your closest spiritual partners. Ask for them to pray for you. Make it through these 67, and then the wrath of God will come on this worthless individual. No, that's not the point. The point isn't the number. And Jesus goes on to illustrate his point with a story, a story that shows us where he draws the line, where we're called to draw the line if we're a part of his kingdom. And it begins here. It begins here with this king. He loans this money out to a bunch of his subjects in his kingdom. These are called bond servants because they owe money to the king. And it's money to buy seed in an agricultural society. So you plant 
during the planting season, and then out of your abundance of your harvest, you pay back your loan. Or maybe you borrow some money to start a blacksmith shop, whatever. Well, there comes that time in the year where the king starts to balance his books. And so all these bond servants get their credit card bills in the mail, right? <laughs> and they've got to go to the palace and either pay their debt or figure out a payment plan or plead for mercy. And we find this one servant in particular. His credit card bill comes in the mail, <laughs> and he owes 10,000 talents. That's about, if you think of a common day's wage for a servant, that's about 60 million days' wages. <laughs> let me really let you sit in this for a second. Okay, let's, let's imagine, okay, our average life expectancy is 79 years of age today. It was much less then, but 79 years today. It would take this guy 2,000 lifetimes working seven days a week, 365 days a year. He basically would have started working when Jesus was telling this story and would have just walked through that door potentially finishing off his debt. <laughs> don't do it, don't borrow, you know. Um, now, if you were in that position, you'd probably do something like this. I declare bankruptcy! <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was just funny. I didn't really have a, I mean, <laughs> but listen, <laughs> listen, okay, bankruptcy, it didn't exist in the first century, all right? <laughs> you couldn't appeal. You just basically went to the king and said, hey, help me out, and you were at his mercy. And this guy doesn't have a dime, so you know what the king does is Jesus is telling the story. The king says, all right, I'm going to sell you, and I'm going to sell your family into slavery, and you're going to pay off like the minuscule, like the smallest portion possible to this insurmountable debt. But before the soldiers can come and take him and his family and sell them into slavery, this man totally debases himself, and he gets down on his knees. And I mean, you can just imagine looking at his daughter, looking... Snot's coming down his face, tears are rolling, and, and he's just crying out for mercy. Just weeping, please, please. And he begins to say almost anything, right? He's like, patience, I'll pay you back. Oh yeah, 2,000 lifetimes worth of money, you'll pay me back, right? But he's, he wants to do, he'll do anything because there's only two options here, either judgment or mercy. And something happens. The king sees the desperation in this man, we, we read, and he has pity on him. He has pity on this guy. And look at what the king doesn't say. If you look in verse 27, the king doesn't say, fine, but everything you make here on after, that goes into the king's treasury, okay? You're going to have to figure out some other way to, to eat. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but every other dollar you make, that goes into the king's treasury because you are mine. Instead, what does the king do? He wipes the slate he brings the guy over who has the books and he writes in the margins paid in full. I mean, an insurmountable debt released, let go, forgiven. This is like that new life moment, that reborn kind of moment, like where all of a sudden the sky is the limit, like you've been given a new chance. This is mercy. This is freedom where every other part of your life you'd say, okay, where's the catch? And the king's like, no catch. You're free. And then what do we see happens next? In verse, what's the next verse here? In this verse 27, or actually in verse 28, there's this big old but in the story, right? But this same servant, let's call him Henry, why not? Um, I've been watching enough uh, 
uh, Thomas the Train. You know, almost immediately he hits the ground running. And where does he go? Where does he go? Is it to go throw a party in celebration of the king's generosity? Is it to join the king's army, give his life voluntarily to the king? No. He instantly runs to another servant. We'll call him Bob because I like what about Bob, all right? So he runs to Bob. And Bob owes Henry about 100 denarii. That's about 100 days' wages. That's less than a car payment. And like, not even a new car payment, like a used car payment. That's like 30 days' loan. And he grabs Bob by the neck. And he forces him to the ground. And he begins to choke the life out of him and says, give me my money. Why? Maybe his pride was hurt because he was so ashamed in front of the king. We don't know why. But what we do know is he begins to squeeze the very life out of the servant. And how does Bob respond? It's eerily similar in the wording to how Henry responded when he was before the king. He begs for patience. He owns his debt. That's really important. He never downplays his debt. He owns it and promises repayment and asks for mercy. But what does Henry do? He says, forget you. And he throws him in prison until he'll pay off his debt. Same day. Exact same day. Now, all these other bond servants, they see what happened, and then they go and tell the king, and the king is ticked. The language there is, the king is angry at what just happened. Don't miss that. Anger is a part of this king's reality. And he calls Henry in, and he says, you're going to come to my office right now. And the king rips Henry a new one. <laughs> and he's like, okay, do you realize I've just given you two, forgiven you 2,000 lifetimes worth of debt, and you're so cold that you're choking the life out of another one of my subjects. Okay, he owes you money, but he's in my kingdom, and you took him out of my work because you had a vendetta against this guy. You don't know what freedom is. Hey, guy with the book, come back here. Erase paid in full. And I want you to throw this guy in prison until his debt is paid off, which in other words, Henry will never see the light of day ever again. And then we see one of the most outstanding, outlandish, bombshell sort of statements from Jesus ever in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa. Let's ask that question again that we've been asking from the beginning. Do I really have to forgive? If you ever ask that to Jesus about anything, anything, he will give you an unequivocal yes. Always chase forgiveness. Always. Always. Because if you don't, there is no room for you in his kingdom. And the eternal trajectory that each and every one of us has sitting in this room this morning, this morning, you'll either be in God's kingdom or you're outside. And every way that Jesus describes being outside of God's kingdom is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the bitterness and the rage and the contempt that comes from a lack of forgiveness will actually come to consume you as you are alone by yourself outside the kingdom. As a Christian, you do not have an option not to forgive. We always chase forgiveness. Always. And listen, I don't know what pain you've been through. I don't. I know my story. I know some of your stories. But you need to hear this this morning. Because I love you, you need to hear this. 
If you want to be a part of following Jesus, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you must always chase forgiveness. Always. And, you know, even as I was thinking about this, I think this isn't necessarily new news to most of the people in here this morning. Right? We get it for the most part. It's just, it's that 99.9% of the time we get it. And then there's that rare occasion, that one moment where we say, yeah, 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 we, we chase forgiveness always except for here. Except for here. Yeah, 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 I, I know Jesus is calling us to always chase forgiveness, but he didn't understand. That. No, 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 always chase forgiveness, I get it, but he didn't know about. The. And we come with our justifications for that 1%. That one percent, that one person, maybe that one group of people, that one moment in our life where we say, always chase forgiveness except for here. And it's that one percent that's opened the door to bitterness, contempt, and rage that is destroying you and dividing communities. And Jesus will not have that in his kingdom. And listen, as someone who's personally wrestled through this, that Matthew 18 stared me in the face. Um, and as a pastor who's walked alongside of kind of this respectable sin of unforgiveness, like that's okay to even talk about and laugh about, I, I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like to really tackle some of these justifications that we give, some of these one-liners that kind of give us an out to what Jesus says is a universal reality for a follower of Jesus, okay? And I say this with deep compassion once again, I don't know fully the pain you've gone through, but we have to face this head on, okay? And I think one of the number one justifications for that 1% of unforgiveness, it sounds something like this, but you don't understand, I can never forget what they've done. How many times have you heard, just forgive and forget? Anybody ever heard that statement before? You know, the only problem is, is forgiveness isn't forgetting. If you've ever experienced, and those of you in here, and I know there are those of you in here who have experienced trauma or just really deep wounds from somebody really close, there is no forgetting. It's there, whether you like it or not. You wish you could take a memory-erasing pill, but it just won't go away. You see, if forgiveness was forgetting, then God would know nothing of the past. <laughs> he would only know the present on, because everything in the past is so soaked with our sin and our failure that he'd be like, hey, God, remember when you helped me out of it? Well, no, because you were still sinful in that situation, so I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You see, for, forgiveness is not forgetting. It's remembering differently. It's actually looking at those failures, looking at the way that offender has come at you, and remembering it differently such that it is not placed between you and the offender, but you learn to now navigate in light of the past rather than letting it control you, you see? Another way we justify that 1% of unforgiveness is in saying, I just don't feel like it right now. Jesus says we need to forgive from the heart, and I just don't think my heart's in it. And the problem is the way we understand the metaphor of the heart and the way that Jesus understands the metaphor of the heart are you know, pretty different. The way we understand the metaphor of the heart, we think it pretty much means emotions, period. <laughs> but the understanding as a first century Jewish person of the heart is that it was the center of the will. It encompassed the emotions. We don't need to disregard our emotions, but we need to understand that emotions aren't in the driver's seat either. Forgiveness is a decision 
a decision that channels your emotions, even when it feels like it's painful, even when you don't want to do it, even when it's really hard, your emotions don't become the decisive factor. You make the decision even in spite of your emotions at times. That is forgiveness. Well, fine, I'll, I'll forgive him, but don't expect me to talk to him anymore. Forgiveness is so much more than words or a script. Listen, sometimes distance is important. But if you're going to spend eternity with that person, if that person happens to be another Christian, Jesus will not tolerate that in his kingdom. Forgiveness is more than words. It's never less, but out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And forgiveness encompasses the whole person. And maybe hearing some of these justifications, not all, these are just a couple examples. You may even be tempted to do something we often do in this last justification. I guess it wasn't that bad. I'll just get over it. And sometimes that's true too. <laughs> sometimes we're really hypersensitive and we need to ask ourselves, why am I being so hypersensitive? What's going on in my heart? But sometimes we, in it, we excuse the inexcusable as a way of avoiding conflict. Let me say that again. Sometimes we excuse the inexcusable as a way of avoiding conflict. I mean, think about how we normally respond to someone when they come to us and say, I'm sorry. What's our normal response? Oh, it's fine. I'm okay. That's not forgiveness. That's excusing. That's actually avoiding the issue. It takes no ownership. It doesn't, it doesn't free the other person. Being a forgiving person doesn't mean you sweep evil under the rug, folks. You call evil, evil. You admit that there's a debt there. Please listen to this. Please, please, okay? To excuse real injustice, either as the offender or the offended, it minimizes pain and it will short-circuit any path to real forgiveness. You have to call evil, evil. Listen to how Jesus does it in the story. The king, you've got a debt. This unjust servant who chokes this other guy, Bob, right? His error wasn't even in acknowledging the debt. That's not where the error lies. The error lies in a lack of forgiving and mercy towards the debt when forgiveness was asked for. You're allowed to be angry at sin. Sin is nasty, okay? You don't have to be really nice people all the time. We can be really angry at sin. And forgiveness actually creates space for really deep lament, what forgiveness won't allow is that you live there. I'm not saying you only have to be there five minutes. It may be years for lament. That timetable is different for different people and different circumstances, but you won't live there, not forever. Now, when I say these and I'm starting to tackle some of these justifications, I don't want you to hear me say that if you just understand forgiveness, all, your, all of your relationships here on out will be like a fairy tale. I hope you don't hear Jesus saying that. I hope you don't hear me saying that. I hope you don't hear me saying that if you're in an abusive relationship, you should stay in that relationship. That's not what Jesus is saying. I hope you don't hear me saying that somehow we're supposed to avoid living life with healthy boundaries. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm trying to say. I hope you don't hear me saying either that we're somehow supposed to stop fighting for justice in the public square. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what we mean by forgiveness. Listen, forgiveness it acknowledges the debt, that there's a real debt that needs to be paid. And even though you can't forget about it, even though you don't feel like it, 
You choose volitionally to acknowledge the debt, own what part you've had in that debt, and then release that person from that debt and live in light as if they owe you nothing. When you have a grudge, what are you expecting? For them to pay for what they've done, right? That's the language we use. They're gonna pay for what they've done. They still owe you something. Forgiveness says they don't need to pay for anything. And you take that upon yourself. And it's painful. It's hard. But listen, there's no loophole to forgiveness. To follow Jesus means we always chase forgiveness. Always. And I hope that what this should cause each and every one of us to ask ourselves this morning, because we've all got these people, who is the one person you need to chase forgiveness with this week? One person. Don't think of all of your different relationships. Think of one person. Chances are someone popped into your head. (laughs) Don't brush them off. That's probably the work of the Spirit, bringing that person's name to the fore here. What does it look like for you to chase forgiveness with that one person this week, these next seven days, starting this afternoon? What if instead of running from conflict or running towards that person in vengeance, you chased after them for forgiveness? Instead of choking them out, trying to get them to pay you back, you freely forgave. You, you communicated the pain that they had caused you. You communicate the debt. And then, by God's grace, they acknowledge that there is a debt, and then they ask for forgiveness, and you release them. Who's that one person you need to chase forgiveness with this week? And I know this isn't easy, um, And I was thinking about that question this week, and I think, I was like, man, we need more stories of forgiveness, like hard forgiveness. Not like, oh, you took my post-it note, you're forgiven. Um, Like, but real, like if they're taking post-it notes a lot, like every day, maybe, okay? (laughs) But but we need need some good stories of like heart-wrenching forgiveness that's counter-cultural, that breaks against the tide of of so much bitterness that we see across society, so much division, so much anger. And so this morning, I want to just give you a glimpse. There's a story I heard in the news recently. Some of you may have heard of it. And it's a story of forgiveness. And I want us to take a moment and let's watch. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. you saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side, 
in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? I always... story, I mean, it, it almost makes it too pretty, doesn't it? <laughs> like, that, that can't be real. Like, that can't really happen. But, you know, here's the deal. When, when Jamel was telling his story, and it, we see that both these guys call evil, evil. Okay? None of them says, hey, that's okay. It's no big deal. I mean, four years of your life, everything gone. And yet he owns how he wrongfully, it was wrongfully arrested Jamal, put him in prison. An insurmountable debt, it feels. And yet Jamal forgives. Why? For him? For them? No, he says, for our sake. And even more so, he goes on to talk about how his Christian faith is the catalyst to genuine forgiveness. And I need you to hear this this morning. If you happen to be here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're checking out who Jesus is, we're really glad you're here. But I also hope you know this message isn't for you. We think forgiveness is good for everybody. But the very reason why we forgive, the very impetus, the very driving and motivating factor is because what God in Christ has done for us and we've embraced what God in Christ has done for us such that how can we not forgive? Otherwise, it can feel like justice has been overlooked or evil has been left unpunished. And please listen. This is where Jesus' story is. It's so crucial here because what we have to see first as followers of Jesus is that we, each and every one of us in here, owe an insurmountable debt to the king of the universe. Our insurmountable debt is our sin, our unforgettable treason against a holy, infinite God when we chose not to live underneath his reign. And it would take each and every one of us an infinite amount of lifetimes to pay him back for that. But you know what God does when he's balancing out his books? He sends his son Jesus when he sees all of humanity deeply indebted to him. He sends his son Jesus to pay our penalty, to pay it in full so that we might now rest in his mercy 
An infinite God become finite to pay our infinite penalty. Only he could do it, and he did. If we will just receive his mercy by receiving Jesus, and now we give back our lives to him out of gratitude, not by guilt, but gratitude. Thinking, how could we not, having been given so much, and how could we not forgive others? Even the worst that someone could do to us pales in comparison to the debt that we owe God. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you see the outlandish story that Jesus has told? None of us has a loophole out of forgiveness. God always chases forgiveness, always with us, such that we, not sometimes, not most of the time, always chase forgiveness with others, always, always. You know, I started our time with a story about my dad and I in college and and honestly, that was not easy. Okay, I hope you're picking up on that. Um, and being confronted with Matthew 18, I had to do a lot of praying because I didn't have the strength to forgive him. I didn't want to forgive him. I knew I was supposed to, and I knew that Jesus was smarter than I am, so I said, okay. Um, and every time I met with him, I had to pray for strength for forgiveness for like the first couple months, even praying for strength for forgiveness multiple times in those first conversations. And you know, for a little bit there, things got better. Like, I knew my dad, and he knew me, you know? And then about two years ago, come this Thanksgiving, I thought something was going to happen that I never thought was even possible. I was going to have my daughter, Ava, meet her grandpa, you know? And we, we planned this out for a while. We were going to make the 12-hour trip. I had some other family in the area, too, around Thanksgiving, and we just couldn't wait for Ava to meet her grandpa. I never even thought that would be possible. We make the trip a couple days before we're supposed to go to his house. I get a call. His voice sounds a little raspy, and he says, you know what? I just, I'm not feeling well. It's probably good not for the kids to be around me right now. Maybe next time. Next time. Next time. You need to know that that was the last time I've talked with my dad. Not because I haven't called him, but because he left the country. And he's somewhere on the other side of the world, only God knows. He left a company that very next day with employees without paychecks for Christmas. He left us kids without an excuse. And once again, now my kids without a grandpa. And I think what I shifted from that first to now the second, do I really have to forgive, when I saw now my daughter have some disappointment in her expectations met with a dad who just, or grandpa who chose not to be around. I was angry again. Some of that same anger resurfaced. And I thought, do I really have to forgive again? And we need to understand this as followers of Jesus. Nothing about what my dad did ever changes my call for forgiveness. Ever. Because my forgiveness is not based upon what my dad did or didn't do. My forgiveness is based on what my heavenly father already did for me. God always chases forgiveness. Always. And as his followers, we now take on this radical generosity of letting go of the debts that so burden us down and destroy us with bitterness and anger. Such that if God always chases forgiveness, I mean always, even the slightest of not always with others is a spit in his face. And that's why Jesus is so adamant here. Can you imagine if we were as serious about forgiveness as Jesus is here? I mean, if we called evil, evil 100% of the time with one another, instead of brushing things off that shouldn't be excused, we confronted each other, we owned our part in the debt, 
And then when the opportunity arised, we gave mercy, expecting now nothing, because they owe you nothing. Can you imagine how our marriages would be different? You know, Garth Brooks has this old song, you buried the hatchet but left the handle sticking out. <laughs> you know? Like, that would not be our story. It would be let go. They wouldn't owe you anything. Imagine now our parent and child relationships. Imagine our community that's divided by so much. Imagine what our churches would look like. Imagine what our businesses, what our economy would look like. I mean, Kansas and Missouri have this 100-year-old war back from the Civil War, and it still rages on with economic policies. Can you imagine a city where we took as seriously this call to forgiveness as Jesus makes it to be? Don't you want that? Well, it has to start with you. It has to start with us now. Who's that one person you need to chase forgiveness with this week? Let's see what God does with that, okay? Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Cross those boundaries. Lead us not into temptation, oh, but deliver us from evil, we pray. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.